Now, I think, I think most of you realize this, but I'll just say it because uh, you might have a question about that. We, um, whether you're a member or not, you are part of our family. So, you know, that's, they're not going to get a salary or anything. If anything, they're going to work harder than they did before. But uh, we just want you to know that membership is an important step. It's saying, I belong to this family and I'm committed to this family. But we also know that those of you who are not members, you are absolutely welcome and you are fully uh, capable of serving and doing ministry at Hope Covenant Church. So we want to welcome each and every one of you uh, to that, uh, to our family. So if you're new today, I'd like to say welcome and Merry Christmas to you. Um, The question that we've been looking at during the month of December is really an important question, and it's simply this. What is Christmas? The very thing that uh, Pastor Ryan and Laura are are struggling about, how to do uh, manage the Santa Jesus thing. Uh, We as adults, as grown-ups, we need to learn how to manage that as well. I think you would uh, recognize that to be true. So why is it that Christmas is the most celebrated holiday on the planet? And it is. Why is it that in, our, in, in a little over one week, billions of people throughout the world will shut down work, have a party, and gather in family homes to celebrate Christmas? Well, the fact is this. The birth of Jesus Christ is the most significant event in the history of mankind. It split history into B.C. and A.D. In fact, every time you write a check, and write the date on it. And by the way, we encourage you to write checks, okay, when you're at church. But every time you write a check and put 2013, you're declaring that Jesus Christ was born 2013 years ago. That's what you're doing whenever time you write the date. Today, we're going to answer the question, what is Christmas? By looking at the very first Christmas when an angel announced two things, two things Two statements that answer the question, what is Christmas? Those two things were this, that Christmas is a time of celebration and Christmas is a time for salvation. These two words, celebration and salvation, can change your life forever. And would you just join me in a moment of prayer? Father, what, a, what an absolute honor it is to welcome into our family these new members. But Lord, what we're about ready to do now is so significant and so important, and it's this. We're opening your word, and as we open your word, we're opening our hearts. We want to hear from you, Father. We want to hear truth. We want to hear conviction. We want to hear passion. We want to hear love. We want to hear grace. But Father, in this story of the first Christmas, may you minister to our hearts, each and every one of us. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Amen. So these two purposes of Christmas, the first one is this. Christmas is a celebration. It's a birthday party. It's Jesus' birthday. I bring you good news of great joy. Listen to the verse in uh, the two verses, uh, Luke 2, 8 through 10. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news 
of great joy for all the people. Now that's a reason to celebrate. A couple of weeks ago I told you about the difference between good news and great joy. Good news is hearing that somebody won the lottery. Great joy is hearing that you won the lottery. And that's what this text is about. And it's, it's available for all people. This reason to celebrate good news, great joy for all people. It's a celebration. It's a birthday party. So uh, many years ago now, uh, we were serving the church at Lakewood Covenant Church in Denver. Our children were young. They were school age at that time. And Sherry and I struggled, just like Pastor Ryan and Laura, we struggled with how do we navigate this Santa, Jesus kind of thing? Because as, as Christ followers, we wanted to make the important thing about Jesus. But, you know, whatever you can say about it, I, I still love Santa. So, you know, we we're going to try and figure out how to navigate all that. So uh, Sherry had this great idea. Why don't we, on Christmas Eve, celebrate Jesus' birthday? So she made a cake, and then here was the plan. And this, the first time we did this was the Christmas of 1988. Okay, our kids were, uh, Tammy was 15, Nathan was, I think, 12, or Tammy was 14, 12, and 8. And uh, so we had the kids write, uh, you know, we did our stockings, took all the goodies out of the stockings, and then we wrote a letter to Jesus. And it was telling him, and we told the kids, you write whatever you want, tell Jesus whatever you want, but this is your letter to him, this is your gift to him. So the kids all wrote their letters, and, and then we rolled them up, they didn't read them, put them in the stockings, and then we put the stockings away until the next Christmas Eve. And so that's how we decided to celebrate Jesus' birthday. Well, what we didn't expect was the following October, October of 1989, our son Tyler was killed. And... Um, and so we kind of limped into Christmas that year, uh, very broken, very sad, very sorrow-filled. And, and uh, you know, we didn't really want to do Christmas, but for the sake of Tammy and Nathan, we got to figure out how to do this. And so we got to Christmas Eve, didn't want to do the stocking thing, but we thought, well, we better do it. So we opened this kid's, uh, Tammy took out her letter, read it, Sherry did, Nathan did, I did, and then we pulled out Tyler's letter. And this is what it said. Dear Jesus and God, this is um, 19, December 1998. Uh, I don't know what happened to the Holy Spirit, but he was eight years old. Give him a break. Happy birthday. We really celebrate Christmas because it's your birthday. And thank you for dying uh, on the cross for us so we could go to heaven. I thank you for showing your birthday, sharing your birthday with everyone. I hope you like the picture I drew you. I can't wait till I get to go to heaven. Merry Christmas. So Tyler wrote this in December of 1988. And what many of you don't realize is that that entire year, and we, don't, we thought he it was, it was just a weird kid, he was consumed with heaven. Every night he wanted us to tell him about heaven. He went to a school. They went to a public school. Teacher, tell me about heaven. She says, I know nothing. Tell your parents. You ask your parents. He was consumed with heaven. Well, here we are, Christmas 1989. We're sad and we read this letter and we say, you know what? If Tyler in heaven can be celebrating Christmas, we've got to find a way to celebrate this. And we, we tried to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. And so, but I'll tell you, that was such a gift to our family. A gift to our family that this little boy who now was gone, we couldn't see him anymore. We knew he was in heaven. But this little boy knew what it meant to celebrate Christmas. Do you know what it means to celebrate Christmas? Do you know why you should celebrate Christmas? Again, the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy, and it's for everybody? What is this good news? 
Well, as I, as I looked at this text, I just saw three things just kind of jumped out at me. Three reasons why this is such great news, such good news of great joy for you and for me. The first reason is this. God loves you. I don't know if you have allowed that simple statement to seep into your life. But just listen to that once again. God loves you. It's not that God loves things about you. It's not that God thinks that you're pretty nice. God loves you. The essence of who he is is love. And he has poured that love out upon you. Right there is reason enough to celebrate. God loves you. The greatest verse in the Bible that most of you learned when you're children was John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. That's a reason to celebrate. He can't help himself. Your picture is on his refrigerator in heaven. He loves you. His love is not based on your performance. Thank God for that, right? But his love is based on his character. And his love is based on what his son, Jesus, did to forgive you of your sins and to grant us salvation. He loves you. He loves you so much. So every Tuesday, we have our staff meeting. And everybody can be there except for uh, Brian and uh, Mikey. Uh, unfortunately, they can't be there. But everybody else gets to be at our staff meeting. And after the staff meeting, we always go to lunch. And uh, last uh, week, we went to lunch, and we always invite the families to come along, those that can join us. And so often, uh, Kelly and the girls and Laura and the girls uh, join us for lunch. And uh, this last week, they all were there. And uh, uh, Sabina, 11-month-old Sabina Starr, was showing off. That's what she does. Yeah, she shows off. All these little girls are precious, and they all show off. But today was her day to show off. And so they were showing how that, you know, how you teach kids to go, how big is Sabina? So big? No, they teach her something else. You know, they say, Sabina, praise the Lord. And she goes, Whoosh. she shoots her hands up in the air. Praise the Lord. Boom. You know, like, you know, so, you know, she doesn't realize yet she's Swedish, and she's not supposed to be charismatic. But, you know, boom. You know, she raises her hand. And, and what is so beautiful about that is that these children have no kind of boundaries or reservations. You know, if you were to ask her, you know, does God love you? Praise the Lord. Is God the best thing in the world for you? Praise the Lord. And there's this amazing sense of a child that she is loved by her family and she is loved by God. God loves you so much. But it's more than that. Secondly, God is with you. He not only loves you, God is with you. Now, this isn't about feelings or warm fuzzies. This is a promise from God when he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never. Now we can leave him. We can walk away from him. But he said, he said, I promise you, I am the hound of every man, of every woman. I will never leave you. Is that something that can just soak into your bones? Just realize what a reason to celebrate Christmas is that God not only loves you, but he, he just, just can't help himself to be part of your life and to be actually with you to stand with you, stand next to you. Pastor Corey has a favorite name of God. And that favorite, it's one of the names in the Bible, and the name of God is this, the God who sees you. Now, isn't that the, a wonderful name of God? He is the God who sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He understands you. He's beside you. 
He sees you. God sees you. I think that is so wonderful. The Bible says that uh, God hates loneliness. That's why he's with us, right? That's why he created the first human in history. And when he did create the first human, it wasn't enough. He said it's not good for a man to be alone. Now, whether you're married or not is irrelevant because you need people in your life. We all need people around us. We need to know that we are with others. And God says, whatever you're facing, you never have to face it alone. God is near. It removes the fear. If you are lonely this Christmas, Jesus is near. Turn to him. That's a reason to celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ. I told in the first service, I hadn't planned on telling the story, but it really fit here. So when our son was, was he seven or eight, honey? Do you remember when he had his operation? What's that? He was nine. Okay. So, uh, so this was uh, just a few months probably before Tyler was actually killed, but he had these painful earaches uh, and infections kind of constantly. And some of your kids maybe have had that. And and finally, the doctor said, you know, we have to remove his eustachian tubes. And that's what's getting infected. And he said, it's not a problem. We'll do it. But Tyler was very, very much afraid. He's very afraid. Sherry explained to him, honey, uh, you'll go to sleep. And when you wake up, it'll all be done. Well, what happens when I'm asleep? And so he was very fearful. And Sherry just, just told him before constantly, honey, Jesus will be with you. Jesus will be with you. I promise you when you wake up, I'll be here. But all the whole time that you're having this surgery, Jesus will be with you. And so he was very afraid, but finally they gave him the um, anesthetic. He fell asleep. And then when he woke up, Sherry was right there. His eyes got really big. And he said, Jesus was with me. And he just knew it. Don't you wish you had the kind of faith that a child has? Jesus was with me. Did you know that Jesus is with you right now, always, forever? He is with you. God says, no matter what you're facing, whatever circumstances come into your life, God is near. He is near. Turn to him. That's reason to celebrate the good news. God loves you. God is with you. And the third thing is this. God is for you. He's on your side. He is on your team. He wants you to win. He wants you to succeed. In fact, Jesus said this in John 3.17, the verse after John 3.16 that I quoted. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. So many people are afraid of God's condemnation. So many people. I was raised in a church where everything was about condemning. Everything was about what you shouldn't do. Very seldom do we talk about what we should do or who we should be. Everything was about condemning. But God said, I came not to condemn you. I came to save you. I'm on your side. I want you to succeed. I want you to have a great life. Sometimes we think that, man, God must be mad at me. And it makes us afraid and it makes us fearful. Oh, if I do that sin, then God's going to really be ticked off. Or if I do that, God's going to be just so furious. And I'll, we forget this. The, the, the thing that the Lord said through an angel to, uh, to the shepherds was what? Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Do you know how many times that phrase, be not afraid, is in the Bible? 365 times. You get one for every day. Leap year, you have to double up. Every day. You could take a different verse in the Bible that says, be not afraid. Why? Because God is for you. 
He's on your team. Jesus did not come to scare us. He came to save us. The first words that he spoke to the angel and the words that he speaks to you today is, be not afraid. I mean, he didn't come to scare the hell out of us, pardon my language. He came to pour his love into us. It's a whole different thing. God says to each of you this morning, I love you, I am with you, and I am for you. Now that is good news. That is a reason to celebrate. That's the first purpose of Christmas. Celebration. Good news of great joy for everybody. I don't care if you're Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, Muslim, Mormon, Hindu, Buddhist, Baptist, or if you're nothing at all. This good news is still good news for you. It's great joy for all people. God says, I love you, I'm with you, and I'm for you. Some of you, perhaps this morning, maybe you're new to church, new to Christianity, new to the Bible. Maybe this is brand new to you to hear this, but can I tell you from personal experience, this is true. God loves you. The Bible says that he literally sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. He loves you, and he's with you, and he's for you. Now, the second purpose of Christmas is this, salvation. The second purpose of Christmas is salvation. Again, those of you who have been around the block with Christianity, you say, well, of course, we understand that. But I hope that I give a little different twist on it today that'll help you understand it in even a deeper way. Luke 2.11 says this, today... In the town of David, a Savior has been born. What's the next two words? Say it out loud. For you. He is Christ the Lord. A Savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. Well, you might ask, well, why do I need a Savior? What do I need to be saved from, right? Well, all of us realize that there are all kinds of situations we get ourselves into where we need to be saved. All kinds of situations that we find ourselves in because of things, something we've done or somebody else has done or just the fact that we live in a broken world. But we find ourselves in need of being saved. I, I remember so clearly uh, when the first church that uh, Sherry and I served at was Mount McGill Covenant Church in San Diego. And um, uh, my parents were in that church. Sherry's parents were in that church, so it was really cool uh, to have our family all there, and, and it was a wonderful experience, but one of the joys that I had, we had just gotten back from seminary. I was 29 years old, didn't, had no clue what I was doing, but I acted like I did, and so we were doing church, and one of the first things we did was we went on a men's retreat, and so a group of men went, and the camp we went to was Alpine. Some of you are familiar with Alpine, because we lived in Southern California, and we got up to the men's retreat, and I hadn't been back from seminary very long. My dad and I hadn't had much chance to talk, so we just visited for a couple of hours. It was wonderful, just probably the longest he and I had ever talked to each other in our lives. And it was really a neat time. But we did it till late on Friday night. So everybody was already in bed asleep in their little bunk beds and everything. So we snuck into the, into the dorm, and the only two bunks left were two bunks on top. Well, that was fine for me. I was young and, and spry at 29, so I jumped up. My dad, six foot three, 350 pounds of my dad, crawls up on the top bunk, lays on the bed, and the bed talked back. The bed went, oh, 
you know, and you could just, you know, you know, bunk beds at camp, you guys know that, right? And the, the, the just, just, you could see the mattress just kind of sway like this. And then here's the funny part. Out of the darkness, below my dad on the lower bunk was a curmudgeon by the name of Jess Bailey. He's since gone to the Lord and he's happy now, but he was a grump back then. He was also the church chairman, so he was one of those guys, right? Unlike Andy, Andy's a nice guy. So Jess is on the bottom bunk, and that bunk just kind of groans, and out of the darkness you hear Jess Bailey say this, Dear Jesus, save me! And he's starting to pray this prayer. He'd never prayed out loud in his life, and he was just praying and asking God. That was funny, but the best part was, once he did that, my dad and I started laughing. And so his bunk is going like this and shaking and it's getting the, and Jess is crying out to the Lord. We need to be saved, don't we, from all kinds of things. But the thing, the thing that we need to be saved from the most is our sins, our past, our broken hearts, our sinful acts, everything that we have done and that has been done to us. We need to be saved from that, from the guilt, the sin, from ourselves, from worry. So we need to be saved from sin. But we also need to be saved for something. And that something is God has a purpose for us. And we also are saved by grace. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't pay for it. So those are the three things I want to look at for the rest of our time this morning. The first thing is this. We need to be saved from our sin. Did you know that that's what Jesus' name means? The name of Jesus? Uh, Joseph said, uh, God told him in a dream, Give him, the baby, the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what the name Jesus means. He will save their, his people from their sins. Well, what is sin? Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up with a church that talked more about sin than they did about God. I mean, we were just hammered every Sunday. I mean, and it was usually the favorite sins of the pastor that, you know, the top 10 list, you know how it is, you know, smoking, drinking, you know, sex, uh, dancing. In other words, anything fun was off limits, you know. And so just pounded that every Sunday. And so it was always about what you don't do. I mean, did you ever get confused as kids about sin? I did. Like for one, th one thing, we were told never to swear, never to say bad words, never to curse, right? So in my whole life, there's not been a lot of times that something has slipped out. But, but pretty much I remember as a kid that if you said a bad word, you know, God's going to be mad at you. And, and so there was words that you just didn't say, like, never say damn. You know, that was off limits, especially if you said it with God's name. That was really bad. But, but I remember asking my dad once, I said, okay, I reckon I'm not supposed to. How about dang? He said, no, that's off the list too. Okay. How about darn? No, can't do that. How about doggone it? He said, yeah, you can say that. So, so there was this hierarchy of sins that some were bad and some were good. And who knows where the line is? And I was totally confused. You know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me that way. You know what I'm talking about, right? So this hierarchy of sin, what's a sin, what's not a sin? And that's everything we were doing. But here's, here's the deal. Sin is not what you don't do or what you do do. Sin is an attitude more than something you do. What's the middle letter of the word sin? Oh, you guys are, are you awake out there? There you are. What is the middle letter of the word sin? Good. What is the middle letter of the word pride? Uh, that's right. Sin is an I problem. I want to be my own boss. I want to do life my own way. I want what I want when I want it. 
Everything you find from the history of the Bible, from the history of mankind, you go back and every sin had to do with an eye problem. Selfishness. Selfness. That is always the root of every single sin in the Bible. So we have to take care of that eye problem. Lucifer, one of the beautiful angels that God created, he created them with a free will too, got in trouble a little bit. Lucifer said, I want to be like the Most High God. He had an eye problem. Eve said, I will determine, God, which tree to eat from. You're not going to tell me what to do. And Adam, you know, like a blubbering idiot, went along with it. You and I, I want to be my own boss. I want to be the master of my fate. I want to be the master of my life. Sin is, I will do what I want to do when I want to do it. That is always the nature and the origin of sin. The Bible says that that sin, that I problem, separates us from God. Because God is all about loving you and wants us to love Him back. And because our sin is an I problem, we build up these bricks and this wall, brick upon brick. Every time we have an I problem, every time we are selfish or self-centered, we build this wall up between us and God until we can't even see God. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He took our sins, all of those bricks, as if they were His own. And he died for those. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the wages of sin is death. All of that sin, all of that eye problem, Jesus said, I'll take care of. The Bible says that that wall that we have built up so that we can't see God was completely obliterated as if it never existed. That's what Jesus, dying on the cross for your sins, did for you and for me. He took care of the sin problem. He took care of the eye problem. We can't do it on our own. But he took care of it. He said, I want to set you free. I want to release you from the bondage of sin. I want to save you. I want to save you from your past. I want to save you from your present life. And I want to save you in the future so that you have eternity with me, the past, the present, and the future. God says, you need to be saved. That's what that word means. We need Jesus to save us from our sin. But beyond that, we recognize that most of us as believers. Beyond that, we recognize that we are not only saved from our sin, we are saved for a purpose. 2 Timothy 1.9, he saved us and called us to be his own people, not because of what we have done. In other words, it's not behave on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It's not because of what we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. We are saved from our sin, but we are saved for a purpose. Do you know what your purpose is in life? Do you know why God, after you became a follower of Jesus, uh, you know, you had your ticket stamped for heaven, so you're, you're going to be an eternal person. Did you know that there's a reason why you're left here on this planet afterwards? The Bible is very clear about that. You are called to be salt and light. You are called to be, and you've heard me say this a lot lately, you are called to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You are one of those people that God has said, okay, you are my highest ranking dignitary sent from heaven by God to the earth with the good news of the reconciling power of Jesus Christ. You were saved for a purpose, to let other people know about the good news of Jesus Christ. He saved us and called us to be his own people, not because of what we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Do you know the purpose for your life? 
Now, you can live at any one of three levels of life, right? The survival level, the success level, or the significance level. The Bible says a lot of people in the world live on these different levels. They make a lot of money. They get educated. They do good things. They do good work. But then they find themselves at the end of their lives and they say, what happened? What was all this about? See, living at the significance level, you know what God has called you to do. You know who God has called you. It's regardless of your profession, regardless of your vocation or your avocation. God says, I want you to know who you are. You are the salt and light. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That's your job. That's who you are. God saved us for a purpose. So God saved us from our sin. He saved us for a purpose. And lastly, he saved us by his grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you know this verse very well. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What does that mean? Well, it means is that God has lavished his love and his mercy and his forgiveness on you, even when you didn't deserve it. But God commends his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even while we were in the midst of our sin, Christ died for us. Grace is, and you can see this, you've seen it probably before, God's riches at Christ's expense, right? G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. You can't earn it, you don't deserve it, it is a gift of God. So often we try and save ourselves by being good enough, by behaving, by doing the right things, and we constantly, constantly fail, we fail, we fail. The Bible says that there's not one righteous person in the world that's ever lived, not one. So we constantly fail, even though we try and save ourselves and we always come up short. So um, you'll have to use your imagination, but uh, back in the 60s when I was in high school, a couple of summer, well actually one summer, I served as a lifeguard at Gillespie Pool in El Cajon. Okay, you have to use your imagination to see me as this svelte, 190-pound football player. Okay, and uh, so I was a lifeguard, and they taught us, uh, we all had our badges for rescuing and like that, and they trained us that when somebody is in distress in the pool, uh, you want to get there as quickly as possible, but don't be in a hurry to just grab them and try and drag them over the side. Kind of hold them gently if you can. But the thing is, they're going to be flailing around. They're going to be afraid. And they need to feel you with them, feel that you have them, that you've got them. And because you cannot rescue them if they're trying to rescue themselves. If they're flailing around and everything, if you've tried, especially if you've done an ocean rescue, you cannot rescue someone that is trying to rescue themselves. And so you have to kind of let them feel the pressure, feel that, okay, I'm here, I'm okay, relax, you even whisper in their ear, that's what they used to teach us, you know, take it easy. And in my case, I would say a prayer, I'd say, God is here, God's with you, you're going to be okay. You know, you kind of whisper until they finally relax, and then you can rescue them. So often, we find ourselves kind of flailing around and trying to be rescue ourselves and fix ourselves. I've just got to try harder, pull up myself by the bootstraps. I've got to have more New Year's resolutions and all of that. And if we fail, we fail, we fail. You are saved by God's grace, not by your works. You are saved by God's grace. Now, that swimming story, that wasn't the end of it. I, I did get fired from that job because every time somebody was in the pool and they needed to be rescued, they'd raise their hand and I'd just say, I see that hand, is there another? I was kind of getting ready to be a... No, that's not really true. But, uh, but you know, you, you, you know that people need God and yet they're flailing around trying to save themselves. 
God wants to save you from your sin. That's the past. He wants to save you for a purpose of significance. That's the present. And he wants to give you the free gift of eternal life by his grace. That's the future. Past, present, future. You are saved by grace. Christmas is a celebration. He loves you. He's with you. He's for you. And Christmas is salvation. You're saved from your past sins. You're saved for the purpose and significance he has given you. And you are saved by his grace. Remember what uh, little eight-year-old Tyler said in his letter? Let's throw that up again. He said, he knew what celebration was. We really celebrate Christmas because it's your birthday. And look at this next phrase. And thank you. This is an eight-year-old. And thank you for dying on the cross for us so we could go to heaven. Thank you for sharing your birthday with everyone. The Bible says a little child will lead them. And that's what Jesus did. But even the faith of whoever's baby out there is crying, that baby someday is going to grow up and be a child of God because that baby is being loved by someone in our nursery right now. God says, listen, I love you. I'm with you. I'm supporting you. I'll never leave you. Listen, I, I, I died on the cross that you might have life. Your sins are forgiven. You have a purpose for living. And you have been saved by my grace so that you will spend eternity in heaven. Is there anything greater than that? Thank you for dying on the cross so that we could go to heaven. Well, friends, this morning, you're not here by accident. I believe that with all my heart. You're at Hope Covenant Church, Chandler, Arizona, December 15th, 2013, at the 1045 service. You are here to hear the good news, and it's this. God came that we might celebrate life. And God came that you might have life through his salvation. Now, some of you, I'm thinking, that are believers, you've been believers a long time, you're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm just thankful this morning that I've been saved. And I'm, and I'm thankful, I'm ready to celebrate. But I'm thankful that God has saved me. Others of you, maybe if you're new to Christianity or new to church, you might have a different take on this message. In fact, you might say, you know, today I'm going to put a stake in the ground. Today is the, for me, today is the day of salvation. Because the door is open. The door is always open. Revelation 3.20, Jesus said this, and maybe some of you are experiencing this right now. Jesus said, look, I stand at the door and knock. Now, what he's talking about there is not a door, a physical door, but the door of your heart. He said, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Maybe some of you this morning are hearing that voice. You're feeling that knock. You're recognizing that, you know, this salvation and this celebration you've talked about, Pastor Wayne, I don't really have that. Well, you can have that this morning. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, what a privilege it is to come into your house and to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I think for many of us here this morning, we're just thankful that we belong to you and that we can celebrate and that we can thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the salvation that you have given to us through Jesus Christ. But Lord, I also believe that there might be some here this morning who are feeling that gentle knock on their heart's door. A knock that said, I'm here. I'm real. 
I love you. I died for you on the cross. I have eternity waiting for you. And, and Lord, if there are those here that are feeling that voice, that knock on their heart's door, I, I just pray, Lord, that you would help them to pray this prayer with me. You know, in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer, and it'll be a simple prayer. And if you believe it, I want you to say it with all your heart, not out loud, but in the quietness of your own heart. And just repeat this prayer if it comes from deep inside of you, if you've heard that voice, if you've felt that knock, something like this. Dear God, I admit I'm scared. I don't know about all of this Christianity stuff, but, but I do want to know you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you're with me even when I don't feel it. I thank you that you're on my side, that you're for me. You didn't send Jesus to condemn me, but to save me. I admit that before today, I've never realized that I needed a Savior. But today, I want to receive your Christmas gift of your Son. I ask you to save me from my past, from my regrets, my mistakes, my sins, from my habits, my hurts, my hang-ups, the things that mess with my life. Save me from myself. I ask you also, Lord, to save me for your purpose. I want to fulfill that which you made me to do. I want to learn to love you and to trust you and to have a relationship with you. And so, Father, by faith, I invite Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to come into my heart, my life, and to make me a new person to forgive me of my sins, to fill me with a purpose, the joy for living, and the promise of eternal life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Would you keep your heads bowed, please, for a moment? If you prayed that prayer this morning, I just want to pray for you. That's all. We're not going to ask you to do anything. I just want you to raise your hand up quickly, look at me, and I promise that I will pray for you. Is there anyone like that this morning?